So I'm Amanda. Thanks heaps for coming tonight. This is really cool. So what I want to share tonight are the things that have really stuck with me about parenting, um, based on what we now know um, about the brain and childhood development. I'm definitely not an expert. I only have two children, <laughs> and the oldest is only five. But um, I do read a lot, and these things have really made a difference to me in my parenting journey. So I found out that I was pregnant about a couple of weeks after moving back from being overseas for five years, and it was a surprise. <laughs> uh, we had no jobs. Um, we had spent all our money traveling, and we didn't have anywhere to live. So it was kind of an adjustment, and we very quickly found that we had to settle down and start this journey as parents. The first thing that I want to say is parenting is probably the biggest opportunity for personal growth um, that most of us encounter in our lives. It's a, it's a huge opportunity, and I love this quote from the author Daniel Siegel that says, when we become parents, we're given an incredible opportunity to grow as individuals because we ourselves are put back into an intimate parent-child relationship, this time in a different role. So my own journey as a parent has been a bumpy one. From a surprise pregnancy to moving to a new town where we didn't know anyone, um, we found ourselves with a tiny soul who never slept, day or night, it seemed. And the lack of sleep combined with um, a history of depression combined with pretty high standards that I placed on myself of what it meant to be a mum, all combined, and I ended up with pretty severe postnatal anxiety and depression. And then on top of that, um, I found myself dealing with some chronic health conditions. Um, I had chronic sinus infections and chronic back pain. This is not what this story is about, but through that journey, the things that I'm going to talk about tonight are the things that have helped me and they have helped me build my parenting life into something that's good and even something that's enjoyable despite struggles. So if I were to summarise the kind of highest goals that I hold as a parent, there's three things. It's to be calm, to be kind and to be connected. And by connected I mean having a strong and healthy relationship to my kids. It's simple, right? But not easy. <laughs> um, calm is definitely not my natural state. My family is quite melodramatic. Uh, mountains are made, I mean, molehills are made into mountains. Um, if you walked close to me on a bad day, you would have overheard me threatening to put my kid's scooter in the bin if she asked me to carry it one more time. <laughs> um, I know about emotional intelligence, but I still explode without even realising that I had built up that level of anger. So what is it about how our brains work that can help us to get out of some of those ruts that we can find ourselves in as parents that aren't the kind of loving, happy relationships that we thought we were going to have? Um, so the first thing, my first goal is calm. When I decided to make this my goal as a parent, it actually started to shift my focus, and the things that seemed important to me started to change. Um, for example, getting places on time. <laughs> uh, it's hard, it's really hard to get places on time with kids, and I found myself time and time again like losing it and yelling and 
I didn't want to be like that. And when I decided that calm was my biggest priority, I went, okay, we're going to be late, but I'm not going to yell at my kids. Or I said, okay, I'm going to get up half an hour earlier so that I'm not going to be late and I'm not going to yell at my kids. But it just shifted how I did things because I had a different goal in mind. And when I get to the point where I can't be calm because I'm juggling too many things, I've got too much on my plate, I'm stressed out, I actually start to opt out, I turn things down, and I turn things off, like my phone. <laughs> I'm learning to simplify, and it's not easy, but that does help with calmness. And another quote that uh, I really like from the same author, Daniel Siegel, says, when we're too busy doing things for our children, we forget how important it is to simply be with them. It's profound, eh? <laughs> and it's, yeah... It's significant, I think. I want to talk a little bit about our past and how our past shapes us because what matters for most parents is actually not what experiences they have had as children, but what sense they have made of those experiences. All of us are affected by our childhood. <coughs> our children's brains are still being formed in the first three years of life, and so the care that we were given shaped how our brains developed, and in turn, the care that we're giving shapes how our children's brains develop. So how we treat our children actually changes who they are and how they will develop. And if your own childhood was difficult or traumatic or just negative in some kind of key senses, it can actually be harder to achieve that calm parenting without actually processing your own issues first. So one of the ways that childhood shapes us is through our memories, and there are two kinds of memory. There's implicit memory, and implicit memory is something that um, starts at birth, or even before birth now, the evidence is starting to show. Um, it's a non-verbal memory, and it continues throughout our lives. It forms mental models, which are based on generalizations and expectations based on repeated experiences. So we don't even experience implicit memory as a conscious memory. It's not something that we kind of think about. It's more of a vague feeling about the kind of place the world is, whether our needs are going to get met or not met, um, how safe we are, and how overwhelming our emotions are. And then from around two years of age, we start to develop what's called explicit memory, which is more like the memory that we think of when you can recall an event that's happened to you in your past. So our own memories, whether it's implicit, that kind of hidden background um, memory, or explicit, specific memories of things mm -hmm. happening, can actually affect our parenting because we can react in a sort of knee-jerk reactive way to our children rather than responding to them in a, in a thought-out kind of way. If there's something that your child does that really pushes your buttons in a kind of disproportionate way, it's probably tapping into something in your past that hasn't been resolved or that you haven't kind of brought into your conscious mind yet. So you might have had parents that got really angry with um, talking back. And then for you, when your child is defiant to you, you really come crashing down on them because it's something that happened to you. I realized when I was writing this talk that that whole thing about being late was one of my implicit or and explicit memories. I always remember rushing and mum yelling at us and you know, without knowing it, I was repeating these patterns that had become, you know, part of my experience. 
So I'll tell you what we want to do. I want you guys to talk about, um, either to each other or just into the group, um, if there's certain behaviours or situations that you encounter with your children that just really pushes your buttons. And then, can you link it to something? Is there something from your past that you think is the reason for that? Is it a source of tension in your childhood family or was it a negative early experience for you that causes you to react um, in that way? So maybe just maybe just turn to the person next to you and just talk for like five minutes. So I want to just talk a little bit about um, the body's stress response system. We have two important um, stress response systems. One is the sympathetic nervous system, which is the one that releases adrenaline, increases your blood pressure, gets your heart rate going. I know we've got medical people in the room, so apologies if I get it wrong. <laughs> but this is a survival mechanism. This is kind of a, a basic part of our brain that helped us to run away um, when there was you know, urgent danger or whatever. And then the other part um, of our stress response system is the parasympathetic nervous system, and that counters what the sympathetic nervous system does. So that's the one that lowers your blood pressure, lowers the rate of your breathing, lowers your heart rate. When you're particularly stressed or you have been triggered by something, you may slip into that kind of fight, flight or freeze mode. That's your parasympathetic nervous system at work. And in this mode, you might find yourself being flooded with really intense feelings of anger or sadness or frustration or fear. And you might find yourself acting kind of aggressively towards your children. And in that mode, when your brain is working in that way, you actually are perceiving your children almost as an enemy. That's kind of the, the way that you're operating when that happens to you. Um, hormones and neurotransmitters are flooding your body and causing your muscles to tense and your breathing to quicken. It's really hard to walk away <laughs> when you're in that state. I think that's probably the hardest thing for me as a parent is to walk away when I get into that point. But it's also really important that we are able to do that. Like Even if you walk a few steps away, walk to another room. Um, because in that state of mind, you can't actually access the part of your brain that you need to com communicate with compassion. Um, does anyone do that? Like, say to your kids, I need to calm down and then... So, I mean, it's a really hard thing to do. But um, there's a trick that you can do because your parasympathetic nervous system, as the stress response, affects your breathing. If you can take deep breaths, and you know you can kind of hear that all the time, but this is why you're almost tricking your body into telling yourself that you are calm. And it's even better if you can breathe and count at the same time. So I kind of do a long exhale and count to five or six and then breathe in and count back down again because those two things calms you down and starts to access the higher part of your brain, the, the, the logic, um, and it kind of helps you to calm down. So the next thing that I want to talk about is um, putting on your own oxygen mask. <laughs> um, and there's an author that I really love called Dr. Laura Markham. She's written an amazing book called Calm Parents, Happy Kids, and I think it's in the library, but um, I recommend it. She says, the real job is keeping your cup full so that you have plenty of joy to share with your kids. Kids love our joyful presence and become more, uh, sorry, happier and more cooperative. 
And one of the great ironies of being a parent is that it's really hard to find that balance. Um, and for me, the thing that really saved me when I first got postnatal depression was putting my child in care. And part of me just felt so guilty about it. I felt terrible. I thought I failed as a parent and I don't want to be with my kid. But actually, I learned to turn that around and recognise that it's not at all a failure because when I meet my own needs, I'm able to be a better parent. So when you invest in self-care, you're actually investing in the well-being of your whole family because we set the tone. Parents set the tone for how... Uh, things go in a family and I guess we all need different things when it comes to self-care because we're all different people and you might need people contact you might need time alone um, it's really worth figuring out what it is that you need and then making it happen rather than just hoping it's going to happen like <laughs> scheduling in that time um, to keep yourself in a balanced frame of mind and that really helps with this whole thing of remaining calm um, there's an acronym called HALT, which stands for Hungry, Angry, Lonely, or Tired. And this is actually um, an acronym that the addiction recovery community use. But it's a useful tool as parents because it's kind of almost a check sheet. When you start losing the plot at your children, you just run through those things. Have up, did I feed the kids and forget to eat? Um, am I angry about something else that happened today that's kind of affecting how I'm feeling about the kids? Uh, have I not actually just caught up with an adult <laughs> in days and days um, and am I so tired that I need to actually just stop now and forget about all the jobs that I need to do and just put my feet up for a while so it's it's kind of like tuning into our own needs makes us better able to tune into the needs of our kids um, anger is a message that something isn't working in our lives so anger can actually be a diagnostic tool that we need to change some things, work on some things, or take stock of some things. And it's not necessarily your own fault, it might be your external circumstances that you find yourself in, but still, if you find yourself angry all the time, it's kind of a sign that something needs to give. Um, if it's something that happens all the time and you find that you're irritated and frustrated, it might be worth seeking help because this is one of the tools, uh, one of the signs, sorry, of depression. Um, and one that you might not recognise because it doesn't seem like you know, you're sad or all those things, but um, yeah, that constant anger is, is probably something worth getting checked out. And I've actually adopted a little mantra or a saying that kind of helps me in my parenting, and it goes like this, this is not an emergency, <laughs> because our hormones and brains can make us feel like that glass of water that just got knocked over for the fourth time at mealtime, or the kid that's just being defiant right up in our face is an emergency and that we need to take kind of urgent action and you know act on it but actually if we can keep perspective and keep calm it really helps our kids to see what self-regulation looks like um i'm really bad at this by the way this is all <laughs> stuff that i'm still learning but um it's important and I had this awesome moment with Arla when she was three and we were baking together, which you know is always quite stressful. <laughs> and she tipped over an entire bowl of sugar and it went all over the floor that I had just cleaned. And I could just feel that temper just rising and moments before I completely lost it. 
her little voice piped up and she went, it's okay, Willie, we can clean it up. <laughs> she basically modelled one of my big moments right back at me and it just yeah. melted my own anger away. And yeah, it was a good moment. <laughs> um, so the, the second point, the second goal of um, parenting for me is kindness. And young children actually come to see themselves through the eyes of their parents. The way that you speak to your child impacts their self-worth and their self-talk. It kind of tells them who they are as a person. So empathy is really important. And empathy means to feel what another person is feeling. Um, most of us learned as children that our feelings were unacceptable or even dangerous. So lots of us probably grew up in homes where really strong displays of emotion, whether that was positive or negative, were frowned upon or not accepted and conflict was feared or avoided. Um, this can make us, it really hard for us to accept our kids' feelings because we might feel really uncomfortable with strong displays of emotion because we don't know how to deal with it. We haven't been given those tools. You might even find that your parasympathetic nervous system that we talked about before gets triggered. You might feel the urge to run away, often. <laughs> you might feel angry and want to make your child shut up or be quiet or go away. You might go numb and freeze and feel paralyzed about what to do. And that means that you're, you're slipping into that stress mode. Um, childhood can be a time of intense and often conflicting feelings. And one of the best ways to actually build emotional intelligence in your child is to create an atmosphere in which all feelings are allowed. Because feelings are just that, they're feelings. And they're part of the experience of being human, and they pass eventually. You might need to set limits around the behaviour that comes out of those feelings. And have any of you listened to Janet Lansbury? Is anyone familiar with her? She's a really awesome author and she's great at kind of scripting, giving you these ideas and how you can acknowledge feelings but then also set limits. Um, I put her in the resources but um, yeah, she's really good at that. And sometimes just the act of acknowledging what someone is feeling can go a long way towards helping them feel seen and heard and validated. Um, and you know, like kids can seem ridiculous, the things that they get upset about. But rather than telling them, no, 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 you shouldn't be upset, just say what they're feeling. Oh, you're really upset about that, you know, balloon that popped. <laughs> I mean, yeah, your calm presence with a kid accepting even their kind of yucky, scary feelings um, helps them to understand that they are okay, that they're going to be okay, and that they're <coughs> feeling overwhelmed, but you're not overwhelmed, <laughs> so they're going to be okay. Um, it's really tempting to want to talk our child out of what they're feeling, to rush them through it or to try and fix the problem and make it go away, but one of the best things we can actually do for our children's emotional <coughs> development is to name the feeling that they're feeling and then allow them to feel it. So you might say disappointed, frustrated, mad, sad, scared, confused, and let them feel that in all its intensity, which might be overwhelming at first. But the amazing thing is that if you can do that, you actually help your child's brain to develop great patterns. Um, 
they can develop new pathways and fresh ways of functioning where those feelings become less overwhelming and terrifying for them as the years sometimes go on. Um, and I, I just want to say that we're all trying our best, right? Like, even when we're not doing so well, we're really giving it our best shot, and so are our kids. So even when it doesn't seem like they are, when they're being diabolical, they're probably doing the best they can in that moment. And that makes it a lot easier to be gracious towards our kids when we keep that in the front of our minds. If you change your thoughts, you can change your feelings. And this is a point that um, I found really helpful, that if we know what to expect of our children at different ages and stages, um, it's easier to remain calm because we kind of know what they're capable of doing. And I think this often happens with first children, <laughs> is that you expect them to be able to do a whole lot more than they really can do. Um, all behaviour comes from somewhere. And what appears to be bad behaviour um, generally has an unmet, unmet need behind it. So it can be a request for help. And don't we just know that ourselves? You know, when we start um, maybe acting up or being grumpy or being just a bit obnoxious, probably we're tired or we need some attention from our partner or we are feeling unseen or frustrated and out comes that bad behaviour. And it's the same with our kids. Um, aggressive children might be feeling scared. They might be feeling overwhelmed. They might be feeling disconnected. Um, whining children often are feeling powerless, like they actually don't have any say over what's happening, or they might just need a chance to cry and let out some emotion. Um, kids that disrespect you are showing you that they don't feel connected enough to you. Hunger and fatigue and sickness all cause behaviour challenges, and sometimes that bad behaviour is to see where the boundary is, because in order for a child to feel really secure in their world, they need to know where the clear boundaries lie. And boundaries create this sort of safety and predictability. And so lack of consistent or clear boundaries can actually make your child behave worse because a child can be feeling insecure. So if you're able not to take bad behaviour personally, it can help you stay calmer. Um, children act like children because they are children, <laughs> and it's not usually a reflection on you as a parent. Um, it really doesn't matter what other people think, because our children need our calm support and our guidance even more when they're acting horribly. So there's a concept that I found incredibly helpful, and that is framing your child's challenging qualities in a positive light. Strong-willed kids make good leaders who don't sway to peer pressure. Stubborn kids, persistent and tenacious at getting a task done. <laughs> Highly sensitive kids are observant and perceptive. Loud children are zestful and energetic. Children learn who they are from others in their lives. And the good labels that we place on our kids are contagious. They start to believe that about themselves. So... By being able to frame our kids' qualities in that kind of positive light, we actually help ourselves to be more tolerant of our children, and it helps us see how we can work with our children rather than against them. So this is the next kind of point that I really want you guys to um, have a little discussion um, between yourselves. Um, 
about, so is there a quality in your child or children that you find really challenging? Um, how can you frame this in a positive light? And what does this quality look like when it's put into good use? So we'll just take five minutes and then I will finish my talk not too long after that. The next thing that I want to say is if you're feeling kind of a bit like uh, guilty or <laughs> about any of this stuff, um, please don't because one of the things that more and more of the research is showing is that kids don't need perfect parents. They don't. They don't need perfect parents. They need good enough parents. And what they need, and this is Dr. Laura Markham again, is a parent who embraces growth, makes amends, and opens their heart when it wants to harden. So be kind to ourselves. This is so important. We actually need to learn how to say no to guilt because there's so much guilt coming at us from so many different directions. You know, whether it's people trying to sell us things, whether it's just expectations that we place on ourselves, whether it's things that our families say to us, we can get crushed by that guilt. And we're all different. We've got different resources, we've got different levels of energy, we've got different personalities, we've got different children, and our children have different levels of need and different intensities of personality, and we're all doing the best we can. And so don't allow yourself to get trapped in that feeling of I'm not enough, I'm not doing well enough. Um, actually accepting yourself and accepting the child that you have or the children that you have is a really great way to move towards being happier as a parent. Directing empathy towards ourselves and allowing ourselves not to be perfect is a really profound way of bringing kindness into your home. Starts with us, right? Um, so the, the final thing that I want to talk about is just connection and that it's all about relationship. That's the key thing. And the key to relationship is time. Um, again, it's simple but not easy. It's a bit like an emotional bank account. Often our kids acting up means that they haven't had enough relationship time, enough connection time with us. Um, and again, from my experience with my oldest child, um, when she was three, we fought from the moment that she woke up <laughs> until the moment she went to bed. Everything. Everything was a battle. And um, at one point I decided that I was going to really make an effort to spend 20 minutes in the morning before she went to preschool just playing with her. And if I did that 20 minutes of playing, not trying to get her ready, not trying to rush her, everything went better. The whole day went better and it was just 20 minutes. But it made this huge difference to how well our relationship went over the rest of the day. Um, when we invest time in our kids, they feel connected to us. When we allow them to express their emotions, we actually help them to develop their brain positively. So young children in particular are predominantly right-brained, and your right brain is the part of your brain that deals with emotion, it deals with experience, and it deals with bodily sensation. Your left brain is the part of your brain that deals with um, rationality, with logic, uh, with linguistics. And when um, your child is upset about something, they're acting out of their right brain. 
And quite often as parents, we come in with a left-brained response to that. We'll come in and say, oh, you know, there's no need to be upset or don't worry, this will change. It's not going to work very well on most children because we need to meet the right brain's emotional needs first. So when you come in with empathy and you acknowledge what they're feeling and you validate it, you're meeting that emotional need. And quite often after that, you're then able to come in with kind of constructive, how could we deal with this situation, you know, um, it, it's basically it goes like this connection before direction <laughs> we need to connect first and, and meet those emotional needs first um, I'm going to talk really briefly about temperament and love languages um, because we're all different um, and our kids are different you might find it easier or harder to connect with your children depending on their personality and your personality and whether those kind of mesh together or whether they're totally different um, and understanding what your needs are and what your kids' needs are can be really helped if you understand temperament. So I'm going to read nine traits of um, temperament, which come from the book Your Spirited Child. Um, I found this really interesting. So intensity, that's the strength of your emotional reactions or the speed of your reactions to life. And you might be very intense, you might be very easygoing. Persistence, is it easy for you to stop an activity that you're involved in? Or do you find this hard? Do you give in to frustration easily or do you persevere? Sensitivity. How aware are you of slight noises, tastes, textures, and do you react strongly to such things? Perceptiveness. Are you keenly aware of people, colours, noises, and things around you? Are you easily distracted because something has caught your attention? Adaptability. How quickly do you adapt to changes in your routine or schedule? Regularity. Are you regular or irregular in your habits around eating time, sleep, and so on? Energy. Are you always on the move and busy? Do you need vigorous exercise to feel good? Or do you need more rest and prefer not to be on the go all the time? First reaction. In a new situation, do you jump right in and react with caution? Oh, sorry. Do you jump right in? Or do you react with caution, even preferring to reject things as your first reaction? And then finally, mood. Do you usually feel positive and happy? Or are you more serious and analytical? Um, and then the last thing is actually extrovert or introvert. And that's about how you get your energy. So do you need quiet alone time to kind of fill up your tank? Do you prefer deep one-on-one -on -one interactions? That's introvert. Mm -hmm. um, or do you crave time with lots of people and really feel alive in a social gathering? So the reason I mention this one is to try and connect with an introvert. Say your child is an introvert and you're an extrovert and they come home from school and you're like, hi darling, how was your day? And you want to talk to them. And they're an introvert. They may, it's counterproductive. They may need to actually just go away, be in their room, not see people and then come out when they've had a bit of downtime to recharge their tank. Um, whereas if you've got an extrovert, you might not be enough attention for, for your extroverted child. They may need lots of kind of input and social activities and, and so on. So, um, yeah, introverts think before they talk and extroverts think by talking. Um, who's heard of love languages? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, about half of us have heard of the love languages. And this is another really useful tool for connecting with your kids. Um, there's a book about it um, where the author theorizes that different people give and receive affection in different ways and he talks about five love languages, um, receiving gifts, quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service and physical touch. 
Um, there's actually a website where you can go online and take a test and see what your love language is. But it's so interesting how if you're speaking the right love language to somebody, they can really get that affection. Like my oldest girl, it's definitely quality time and that's why that 20 minutes worked so well for her because that not only was it investing time in her but it was actually speaking her love language and she really responded well to that. So that's just a great tool to, to understand I guess as a parent. So I'm going to just wrap it right up and not um, go on too much more. But if I wanted you to take home one point from this whole evening, um, it's this, that parenting isn't about gimmicks or tricks or one right way to parent. Um, it's a journey of personal growth, a massive journey of personal growth. And you and your children are unique, you have different needs, you have different personalities and different strengths and different limitations. Being calm is really important. It comes first because when we're calm, that's when we're able to be kind, both to ourselves and to our children. And self-care is vital, absolutely vital as a parent. <coughs> Finally, when you're connected to your child, everything flows better. Your limits can be set clearly and compassionately, and you set the scene for your child's brain to develop beautifully. So that is me. Awesome. Um, so.